You're not going to see me do victory laps as a church very often, but this is a victory lap right here, guys. This is our Charlestown newspaper, and look at here. Here's our church's sign. Here's our church's name. Then you go over here to page eight. Here's two pages about our church and uh, event we did the other night with BCYO for the community center. And here's Natalie and Kayla and Carla. And Carla messaged us this week. She was like, looks like we're, uh, we're superstars this week. We made the Patriot. That's when you know you've arrived is when you made the Charlestown Patriot Bridge. And it talks in this, if you didn't see it, about our church's relationship with the community center, my relationship with Bob McGann, how this event came together, what the point of it was, why we were doing it. And uh, man, this is a victory lap. Can I tell you the thing I love the most about this? If you haven't read The Patriot, um, when we looked at this the other day, um, Natalie looked at it and she said, you know what was so cool about this putt-putt event? This event was Charlestown. There were people of all colors, all ages, all backgrounds, all religions, including none, all, uh, all types of worldviews, everybody was there. It was a 250 plus people and a beautiful snapshot of our neighborhood. And there was salsa dancing and some people didn't like the salsa dancing and some people loved the salsa dancing. And one of my phrases here is, man, if we're making everybody a little mad, then I think we're doing things right for the sake of God and the gospel because Jesus made people a little mad and he made some people a lot mad. But man, like I love that we were able to do an event and there were townies there and there were uh, people of Hispanic descent there and there's everybody there. It was Charlestown. And our tagline as a church is Christ Church Charlestown. It's on the front of the bulletin. Bringing Charlestown together around the gospel. That's what we want to do. Bring Charlestown together around the gospel. I cannot tell you how many times in the last two and a half plus, almost three years, people have said, you can't start a church in Charlestown and have every type of person together. You can't have multiple colored people together in church. Can't happen. You can't have the haves and the have-nots financially in church together in Charlestown. Can't happen. I've, I promise, as God is my witness, I've had pastors tell me, you can't do it. You've got to pick one. You can't do it. It's not going to happen. And I hold out hope that the gospel, and it makes me madder than anything when a preacher tells me it can't be done, I hold out hope that the gospel is the thing that will bring everybody together. And if the gospel can't bring anybody together, everybody together, then nothing in this world can. Nothing in this world can. And so today, there's going to be two key words that I want to share with you. Uh, the first one is going to be the word diversity. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about diversity today. Uh, and when I say diversity, I don't just mean ethnicity. So often when we hear the word diversity, we automatically think diversity of ethnicity. And I do mean that, but I mean much more than that. And I'll, we'll talk about that. And then the other thing, uh, well, the other word we're going to use today is church. And when I say church, I don't mean a thing that happens in a school or a building at around 10 o'clock on a Sunday morning. When I say church, I mean the people who have committed their life to follow Jesus, have been forgiven by, of their sin, and have been made new in Christ. And that's all I mean. That's what I mean when I say church, and that's what I mean when I say diversity. Difference and God's people, okay? And so here is going to be the big idea. Paul, if you'll go to this first one, if you want to write anything down and then take a nap for the next 15 minutes, this will be the thing that you want to write down today. And I want to begin with a question. How diverse for our church, how diverse will be too diverse? How diverse is going to be too diverse? And we need to settle this 
right now. We're coming up on the end of year one of meeting on every Sunday. We've got some neat opportunities before us that God has given. And we've got to answer this question. For us as a church, how diverse is going to be too diverse? Are we going to draw the line so we're on race? Are we going to draw the line on age and say we're only going to be for uh, millennials and Gen Xers? Are we going to draw the line on economics? you got to sort of, you know, have a W-2 that looks similar to ours, or you don't. Are we going to draw the line on religious background and say, hey, if you were Catholic, lapsed Catholic, if you were Protestant, you can come, but you Wiccans, you total atheist, you angry atheist, you can't come here. Where are we going to draw the line? How diverse will be too diverse? How diverse will be too diverse on looks? Is there a baseline that somebody has to look enough like us or at least make us comfortable before we say, oh, you can come in, but you got to stay out? What about good and bad habits? What if we just have a, are we going to be okay if we have more people out in the smoking section before church outside than in the non-smoking section getting coffee and indulging that uh, habit that I love to indulge before church? Where's the, where's the line on morals and habits and everything else? Here's a belief that I have. The other day somebody told me, they said, J.D., if, if Christ Church Charlestown will become the church for nobodies, then you'll become the church for everybody. And I like that. I thought there's a lot of truth in that. But I think the better statement is this. If we will commit to become the church for everybody, then we will be the church for everybody. What do I mean by that? Most people don't think the church is for them. They actually think the church is against them. And because they think the church is against them, they also think that God, or at least Jesus, is against them. And if we will become the church that is for everybody, in doing that and fighting for that, we can become the church for everybody. But that takes an upfront commitment. We literally have to make a sole decision. That's what we're going to do. We're all in. We're not just going to be church attenders on Sunday morning. I want us to look at Jesus' team. If you've got a Bible, we're going to look at Luke 6, 12 through 16 today. If you've got one of the paper Bibles in the back, uh, the large print, we're on page 955. The small print, we're going to be on 503. And let me just, in the interest of time, begin to go ahead and read uh, if you haven't gotten there yet. This is just the story of Jesus picking his team. Jesus has probably got about 70 people who are kind of in his entourage at this point, disciples. But he's going to pick 12 apostles. It says in verse 12 of Luke 6. And these days Jesus went out to a mountain to pray. And all night, that's key, he's making a big decision. He prays about it all night. Uh, and so he prays all night. He continues in prayer to God. And when day came, so he's gone all night. When day came, he called his 12 disciples. Now listen, there's not these two sort of, there's not a dichotomy when it comes to following Jesus where there's Christians who don't take it seriously and disciples who do. The word disciple just means follower. And this is the only, alter- this is the only option for people who follow Jesus. Like, We can't say, like, I'm Christian, meaning I'm not Muslim, or I'm not atheist, or I'm not Jewish. Like, we're followers of Jesus or not. Like, I rarely even refer to myself as 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 a Christian. I'll say, oh, I follow Jesus. I follow Christ. I'm a Christ follower. That's a better label. Jesus is going to call from his disciples, from his followers, it says in 12, and he chooses from them 12 who he names apostles. Now, that word apostles just means sent out ones. He's going to pick 12 who are going to be his inner inner circle, and he knows up front where this is going because at the end of three years, they're going to become the sent out ones who he's going to plant the seed of the kingdom of God in their hearts, 
And then he's going to send it out to germinate and spread through the whole world. And so he chooses 12 from verse 13, who he named apostles, sent out ones. And here they are, Simon, who he named Peter, and Andrew, his brother, comma, that's a posse, that's a, that's a duo. And then James and John, comma, they're a duo, Philip and Bartholomew, comma, Matthew and Thomas, comma, remember Matthew is a tax collector. Uh, Philip, by the way, is a Greek name. Uh, so Matthew and Thomas in verse 15. Next, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon, called the Zealot, comma, their duo. Zealot is, uh, the, is um, first century Palestine word for terrorist. He picks a terrorist, a guerrilla warfare guy who would come sort of out of the wilderness to wreak havoc on the Roman Empire. So he's got Matthew, the tax collector, who works for the Roman government. And then he's got Simon, the guerrilla warfare terrorist, who attacks the Roman government. So out of his 12, uh, one for every six, 15% literally are like this. Can you imagine the campfire conversations when one of them's talking about how he loves the government and the other one's talking about how like weather underground of the 70s, he wants to blow up the government and this is his 12 that he's picking. And then, and, and then I feel sorry for one Judas here, verse 16. And Judas, son of James, not to be confused with his running mate, Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor, the one who betrayed Jesus. Like, how crappy would it be to be like, oh, yeah, I was one of the disciples. Well, what's your name? Judas. He's like, oh, the one who betrayed him. No, I'm the other one at the back of the list. Like, I, was, I actually had to hang out with that Judas all the time because our names matched and we looked similar. So Jesus put us together. So if he called Judas, he would always get it right. But I'm not the one who sold him out. And so that's Jesus' entourage. He puts them in pairs and groups because he knows they would need each other so desperately. I was just talking with Carla uh, before church. Listen, the Christian faith following Jesus is a personal affair, but it is never a private affair. We need each other. Marcy and Beth and Natalie went to the Red Sox game last night. Natalie sends me, it's actually a Dodgers game that just happened to happen at Fenway Park against the Red Sox, if you didn't know. They send me a video of them and they're just sitting there with all these Dodgers fans surrounding them and their eyes are like this and it was, they look terrified. Listen, like we need each other. We're in a hostile environment as followers of Jesus, and we need one another. And so there's four things I want to talk with us really quickly about when it comes to diversity in light of Jesus' team. If you'll go to the next one for me, Paul. Diversity in Jesus' day and today is a defying of culture. When, when, a, when a church or a group of people is diverse uh, in any way, it defies culture because society right now in our world in the Twitter universe is all about creating we-them paradigms. And we are awesome, and them we want to die. Metaphorically, sometimes literally. But whenever a team is diverse and people can come together and practice diversity, it's a defying of culture because the we, them paradigms, and I'll tell you a life-changing book for me on this. Uh, it's by Christina Cleveland, um, sociologist. She wrote a book called Disunity in Christ that literally uh, changed my thinking on a lot of things. She says in this book, she says, here's what happens in uh, we tend to think of we as being very diverse, but they as being homogenous and all the same. Like, we think differently, we vote differently, we like different teams and different sports, but they, they all like the same stuff. And so uh, that's the way our culture is set up, that's the way our brains even set up to work. We tend to know what they think. And even further, we tend to know what they think of us. 
And so because of that, we have these boxes for how we categorize our thinking about other people. So whenever we say we're not going to do that and we're not going to be that as the people of God, it defies our culture. The gospel of Jesus is the greatest hope to bring different people together because the gospel is for everyone. And the gospel, like nothing else in the universe, levels the playing field. It doesn't matter what your past is. It doesn't matter what your present is, your house size, your education, your race, what part of Charlestown you live in. We're all sinners. Jesus died for all of us, and we all need forgiveness and new life and peace with God through him. And so I saw this week that President Trump has sort of given up this idea about the um, citizenship question on the census. Listen, that's such a perfect example of we, them paradigms. Let's figure out who's a we and who's a they, and then we can move forward. Listen, that, that is essentially just saying, are you one of us or not? in our culture. But here's the thing. Here's what the gospel says. The gospel says you're one of us. You're one of us. You walk through that door, you can be one of us. You've been born again, you are deeper than family. This is deeper than blood because of the gospel. Diversity is a defying of culture. Second, diversity, if you'll go to the next one for me, Paul. Diversity is a decision. Jesus chooses the diversity of his team. He could have chosen a homogenous team. Here's a tendency we have. We tend to confuse uniformity and unity. Uniformity is we all look alike. God has not called us to be uniform. He's called us to be unified in the midst of our differences. So the former unity is the work of God. Why did Jesus pick a diverse team? And this is so good. This may even be a next slide. Will you see if this is the next slide? It's not. I'm just going to tell you this. It comes up a slide later. Why did Jesus pick a diverse team? Because he knew it would take a diverse team to have a shot at everybody. If his team wasn't diverse, he wasn't going to reach the world. Jesus picked a diverse team because it's a diverse planet. And his aim was the whole world. So who will we be, Christ Church, Charlestown? And who will we be for? Who are we going to be for? If you take notes, that's that's a question worth writing down just so it will sink in. Who is our church going to be for? And... Conversely, like, and and to be totally real, who are we going to say we're not for? Because when we say we're for somebody or somebodies, if we leave people out, then that means we're not for the other somebodies. So we've got to be aware of that. Number three, diversity, you've got this one, uh, next one, if you will. Diversity is a discipline. Diversity is a discipline. Jesus, uh, hey man, did you win? Oh, that's right. Did you advance? You guys play next weekend? Lost by one to Dorchester? Good job. That's my son, Noah. Sorry. He just got in from a baseball game in South Boston. Uh, Diversity is a discipline. Jesus chose those 12 people very prayerfully and thoughtfully. Jesus is my highest identity if I am in Christ. We are in Christ together. All other identities bow out. If I'm a Christian, Jesus, my identity in Christ is 51% of of who I am. Everything else is 49%. Jesus is my highest identity. So my race, my family background, my socioeconomics, where I live, what sports I love, who I vote for in the ballot box, uh, all of those things bow to Jesus in the gospel. That's a discipline. All identities bow out. If Jesus identifies with you, then I identify with you. If Jesus identifies with Marcy, Then Carson, as a follower of Jesus, identifies with Marcy. 
if Beth identifies with Jesus and, and uh, David identifies with Jesus, then they identify with one another. And that's a discipline. That's a spiritual discipline. Much like reading the Bible or learning to pray or learning to live generously or learning to live by faith. It's a discipline. It takes a choice. If Jesus identifies with you, I identify with you. Number four, diversity is a display of God's heart. Diversity, if you go to that next one, there it is. Oh, that, you can skip that. Just said it. Jesus is my highest identity. Boom. Diversity is a display of God's heart. Why did Jesus pick a diverse team of 12, a diverse team of 70, and then even larger groups of people? Because Jesus loves diversity. And this is the next slide that I want you to, I will put this one down, because I think it does bear writing down. We may put it on Instagram today. Jesus picked a diverse team because it's a diverse planet. Jesus picked a diverse team because it's a diverse planet. And his aim is the whole world. His aim is the whole world. And we have dear friends who are uh, of all different ethnicities, sexual preferences, socioeconomic backgrounds. Because that's who Jesus, that's who Jesus loves. And you have that too, because that's who Jesus loves. And I love when I watch you in your normal environments, because all your friends aren't the same people. And you feel a sense of call, and you feel the sense of importance about that. Jesus called us to reach, and he used this phrase, uh, panta etne, all the people, all the different people. Jesus has called us to reach all the different people, everybody. Heaven is going to be an unbelievable worship festival with all the genres. I uh, have never gone to Porch Fest. I think Somerville has something similar. I've never gone. I don't like live music that much. I'll be honest. That's not my thing. Um, I think if Heaven has a Porch Fest, all the genres will be there. There's going to be hip-hop and Latin dancing music. And there's going to be bluegrass. And man, my wife's going to love that. But she's also going to go to the hip-hop porches because she loves Jay-Z and hip-hop, and like, and I like 80s music, so I can, I think there's going to be a lot of porches in heaven with 80s music, and it's just going to, like, heaven is going to be the most diverse worship experience ever, and all the genres will be there, because God's mission is the whole world, and, but here's the beautiful thing where God invites us to do his mission. This is good. We can fight for that now. We can fight for that now. I love living in Charlestown. I love that we have a, a large Cantonese Chinese population in Charlestown. I love that I have dear friends from Puerto Rico and the Dominican, and I love listening to them make fun of one another. <laughs> I love it. Don't they, Carla? You know what I'm talking about? They do. <laughs> they do. I love it. I love that. I love that. I love that there are people who can tell you stories about when their families immigrated here in the 1830s. It's fantastic. I love that there are people who have moved here in the last, it seems like there's a moving truck on Sackville Street every week. It drives me bonkers. I love that. We have a diverse neighborhood and we can fight to be a diverse church now because that's what heaven is gonna be like. When a church is diverse, when God's people are diverse, it's a foretaste of heaven and what, um, what the gospel does. So here's how we do this. Here's how, and, and this takes a commitment. Jesus fasted and prayed all night before he picked his diverse 12. So let me just share three things with you, if you will. Go to the next one. And we're gonna move through these quickly. You don't even have to write them down. One, examine our friend circles and expand your friend circle over the next couple of months. Maybe get dinner or coffee with somebody. You, you guys already do this, 
but it's just good to have uh, refreshers on this. Like, if all of our friends look and think and vote and spend like we do, then we're not capturing the, our team like Jesus captured his team. Examine your friend circles. Number two, relentlessly, if you'll go to the next one, relentlessly, relationally pursue every guest. Everybody who walks through that door, and I'm, I'm, I'm sorry that I didn't turn my mic off when I went back there. I went to go close the door earlier, and these beautiful little girls were walking up in their matching dresses, and they are adorable. And I just got to talking with them because they were the cutest little girls I've seen today. They were so sweet. Listen, when somebody walks through this door, first time, hundredth time, relentlessly, relationally pursue them. Now, I've been to churches where if you stand at the door, you get a t-shirt and a lanyard. And I think that stuff's great, but it doesn't seem relational. It seems like that was somebody's ministry job and they were just doing their job. But Jesus never treated people like they were his job. They were his friends. So when somebody walks through here, I want to just, let's create a rule for summer and going forward that the first three to five minutes after we say amen, we're done with communion, you guys are dismissed, take three to five minutes before we stack a chair and just speak to one another and get to know one another. Relentlessly, relationally pursue everyone, especially every guest in church and every neighbor outside of church. Number three, let's fight to be the church for everybody. Let's fight to be the church for everybody. If we will be, if you'll go to the last slide for me, Paul, we're done right here. I mean, Carla's going to come and serve communion. If we'll become the church for everybody, we'll be the church for everybody. You become a church for everybody, and you will be the church for everybody. I just think that's really powerful. When we look and we say, oh, you want to know what Charlestown's like? If you want to know the demographics of Charlestown, just go to Christ Church Charlestown on a Sunday morning. You'll get a snapshot of what the neighborhood's like. We will not get there by accident. It will take some intentionality, but by God's grace and for the hope of the gospel, I believe with all my heart we can get there. Let me pray for us.